Chapter eighteen of the Ragged Trousered Philanthropists. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tig Hines. The Ragged Trousered Philanthropists by Robert Tressel. Chapter eighteen. The Lodger. In accordance with his arrangement with Hunter, Owen commenced the work in the drawing room on the Monday morning. Harlow and Easton were distempering some of the ceilings, and about ten o'clock they went down to the scullery to get some more whitewash. Crass was there, as usual, pretending to be very busy mixing colours. "'Well, what do you think of it?' he said as he served them with what they required. "'Think of what?' asked Easton. "'Why, our special artist,' replied Crass with a sneer. "'Do you think he's going to get through with it?' "'I shouldn't like to say,' replied Easton guardedly. "'You know, it's one thing to draw on a bit of paper and colour it with a penny-box of paints.' "'It's quite another thing to do it on a wall or ceiling,' continued Crass. "'Ain't it?' "'Well, that's true enough,' said Harlow. "'Do you believe there's own designs?' Crass went on. "'It's rather hard to tell,' remarked Easton, embarrassed. Neither Harlow nor Easton shared Crass's sentiments in this matter, but at the same time they could not afford to offend him by sticking up for Owen. "'If he was asked me quietly,' Crass added, I shall be more inclined to say as he's copied it all out of some book. That's just about the size of it, mate, agreed Harlow. It'd be a bit of all right if he was to make a bloody mess of it, wouldn't it? Continued Crass with a malignant leer. Not half, said Harlow. When the two men regained the upper landing on which they were working, they exchanged significant glances and laughed quietly. Hearing these half-suppressed sounds of merriment, Philpot, who was working alone in a room close by, put his head out of the doorway. "'What's the game?' he inquired in a low voice. "'Oh, Crass ain't half-wild about Owen doing that room,' replied Harlow, and repeated the substance of Crass's remarks. "'It's a bit of a takedown for the bleeder, ain't it? Having to play second fiddle,' said Philpot, with a delighted grin. "'He's hoping Owen'll make a mess of it.' Easton whispered. "'Well, may be disappointed, mate,' answered Philpot. "'I was working along of Owen for Pusham and Sloggum about two year ago, and I seen him do a job down at the Royal Hotel, the smoking-room ceiling it was, and I can tell you it looked a bloody treat.' "'I've heard tell of it,' said Harlow. "'There's no doubt Owen knows his work,' remarked Easton, "'although he is a bit off his onion about socialism.' "'I don't know much about that, mate,' returned Philpot. "'I agree with a lot he says. "'I've often thought the same things myself, "'but I can't talk like him, "'cos I ain't got no head for it.' "'I agree with some of it, too,' said Harlow with a laugh. "'But all the same, he does say some bloody silly things, you must admit. "'For instance, that stuff about money being the cause of poverty.' "'Yeah, I can't exactly see that myself,' agreed Philpot. "'We must tackle him about that at dinner-time,' said Harlow. "'I should rather like to hear how he makes it out.' "'For God's sake, don't go starting no arguments at dinner-time,' said Easton. "'Leave him alone when he's quiet.' "'Yeah, let's have our dinner in peace, if possible,' said Philpot. "'Shh!' he added hoarsely, suddenly holding up his hand warningly. They listened intently. It was evident from the creaking of the stairs that someone was crawling up them. Philpot instantly disappeared. Harlow lifted up the pail of whitewash and set it down again noisily. "'I think we'd better have the steps and plank over this side, Easton,' he said in a loud voice. "'Yes, I think that'll be the best way,' replied Easton. 
While they were arranging their scaffold to do the ceiling, Crass arrived on the landing. He made no remark at first, but walked into the room to see how many ceilings they had done. "'You better look alive, chaps,' he said as he went downstairs again. "'If we don't get these ceilings finished by dinner-time, Nimrod's sure to ramp.' "'All right,' said Harlow gruffly. "'I'll bloody soon slosh em over.' Slosh was a very suitable word, very descriptive of the manner in which the work was done. The cornices of the staircase ceiling were enriched with plaster ornaments. These ceilings were supposed to have been washed off, but as the men who were put to do that work had not been allowed sufficient time to do it properly, the crevices of the ornaments were still filled up with old whitewash, and by the time Harlow and Easton had sloshed a lot more whitewash onto them, they were mere formless, unsightly lumps of plaster. The hands who did the washing off were not to blame. They had been hunted away from the work before it was half done. While Harlow and Easton were distempering these ceilings, Philpot and the other hands were proceeding with the painting in different parts of the inside of the house, and Owen, assisted by Bert, was getting on with the work in the drawing-room, striking chalk lines and measuring and setting out the different panels. There were no political arguments that day at dinner-time, to the disappointment of Crass, who was still waiting for an opportunity to produce the obscurer cutting. After dinner, when the others had all gone back to their work, Philpot unobtrusively returned to the kitchen, and gathered up the discarded paper wrappers in which some of the men had brought their food. Spreading one of these open, he shook the crumbs from the others upon it. In this way, and by picking up particles of bread from the floor, he collected a little pile of crumbs and crusts. To these he added some fragments that he had left from his own dinner. Then he took the parcel upstairs, and, opening one of the windows, threw the crumbs on to the roof of the portico. He had scarcely closed the window when two starlings fluttered down and began to eat. Philpot watched them furtively from behind the shutter. The afternoon passed uneventfully. From one till five seemed a very long time to most of the hands, but to Owen and his mate, who were doing something in which they were able to feel some interest and pleasure, the time passed so rapidly that they both regretted the approach of evening. "'Other days,' remarked Bert, I always keeps on wishing it was time to go home, but the day seems to have gone like lightning. After leaving off that night, all the men kept together till they arrived downtown, and then separated. Owen went by himself. Easton, Philpot, Crass, and Bundy adjourned to the Cricketer's Arms to have a drink together before going home. And Slime, who was a teetotaler, went by himself, although he was now lodging with Easton. Don't wait for me said the latter as he went off with Crass and the others. I shall most likely catch up with you before you get there. All right, said Slime. This evening Slime did not take the direct road home. He turned into the main street and, pausing before the window of a toy shop, examined the articles displayed therein attentively. After some minutes he appeared to have come to a decision, and entering the shop he purchased a baby's rattle for fourpence halfpenny. It was a pretty toy, made of white bone and coloured wool, with a number of little bells hanging upon it, and a ring of white bone at the end of the handle. When he came out of the shop, Slime set out for home, this time walking rapidly. When he entered the house, Ruth was sitting by the fire with the baby on her lap. She looked up with an expression of disappointment as she perceived that he was alone. "'Where's Will got to again?' she asked. "'He's gone to have a drink with some of the chaps. "'He said he wouldn't be long,' replied Slime as he put his food-basket on the dresser and went upstairs to his room to wash and change his clothes. 
When he came down again, Easton had not yet arrived. "'Everything's ready, except just to make the tea,' said Ruth, who was evidently annoyed at the continued absence of Easton. "'So you may as well have yours now.' "'I'm in no hurry. I'll wait a little and see if he comes. He's sure to be here soon.' "'If you're sure you don't mind, I shall be glad if you will wait,' said Ruth, "'because it will save me making two lots of tea.' They waited for about half an hour, talking at intervals in a constrained, awkward way about trivial subjects and as Easton did not come, Ruth decided to serve Slime without waiting any longer. With this intention she laid the baby in its cot, but the child resented this arrangement and began to cry, so she had to hold him under her arm while she made the tea. Seeing her in this predicament, Slime exclaimed, holding out his hands, "'Here, let me hold him while you do that.' "'Will you?' said Ruth, who, in spite of her instinctive dislike of the man, could not help feeling gratified with this attention. "'Well, mind you don't let him fall.' But the instant Slime took hold of the child it began to cry even louder than it did when it was put into the cradle. "'He's always like that with strangers,' apologised Ruth as she took him back again. "'Wait a minute,' said Slime. "'I've got something upstairs in my pocket that will keep him quiet. I've forgotten all about it.' He went up to his room and presently returned with a rattle. When the baby saw the bright colours and heard the tinkling of the bells he crowed with delight and reached out his hands eagerly towards it, and allowed Slime to take him without a murmur of protest. Before Ruth had finished making and serving the tea, the man and child were on the very best of terms with each other, so much so indeed that when Ruth had finished and went to take him again, the baby seemed reluctant to part from Slime, who had been dancing him in the air and tickling him in the most delightful way. Ruth too began to have a better opinion of Slime and felt inclined to reproach herself for having taken such an unreasonable dislike of him at first. He was evidently a very good sort of fellow after all. The baby had by this time discovered the use of the bone-ring at the end of the handle of the toy, and was biting it energetically. "'It's a very beautiful rattle,' said Ruth. "'Thank you very much for it. It's just the very thing he wanted.' I heard you say the other day that he wanted something of the kind to bite on to help his teeth through answered Slime, and when I happened to notice it in that shop, I remembered what you said and thought I'd bring it home. The baby took the ring out of its mouth and, shaking the rattle frantically in the air, laughed and crowed merrily, looking at Slime. "'Dad, dad, dad!' he cried, holding out his arms. Slime and Ruth burst out laughing. "'That's not your dad, you silly boy,' she said, kissing the child as she spoke. "'Your dad ought to be ashamed of himself for staying out like this.' We'll give him dad, dad, dad when he comes home, won't we? But the baby only shook the rattle and rang the bells and laughed and crowed and laughed again, louder than ever. End of chapter 18